Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than mornings at the Big Breakfast House. Thank you for downloading. As always, I am Ash Rose and I'm ready to take you on another visit down the 90s path of memory lane. Before I do, however, I just wanted to mention a couple of sort of 90s references that happened in the real world this week, not the 90s world that I sadly live in most of the week. Firstly, it has to be mentioned, I know it's not football related, but the bizarre new team at Top Gear. I mean, if you said to me in 1996 that Chris Evans, the presenter of the aforementioned Big Breakfast, along with TFI Friday and Don't Forget Your Toothbrush, would one day present a car show with Jerry Tribbiani from Friends, I thought you were crazier than like an Alan Partridge pitch. But fair play to the Beeb for freshen up the show like a, for something a bit different so fair play on that and then secondly don't and don't judge me on this but the wife was uh, doing the dinner on Sunday night and I was sort of flicking through the channels and I landed on Channel 4's The Jump now I've already thought this was a bit of a ridiculous sort of sort of show again it sounds a bit like a partridge pitch doesn't it like celebrity skiing with Dean Kane. shout out to the 90 Superman there but among the standard reality TV stars I heard the delicate tones of Barry Davis and an instant wave of sort of nostalgia came over to me because I love Barry Davis I know we mentioned him a lot on last week's show and he's just he's just brilliant and he sounded a little bit frailer than usual but the wit was still there and I've got nothing against today's commentators we may even have uh, Steve Wilson on the show in a couple of weeks but he's just a master at his craft, and I'd love him to do one more match. That'd be brilliant to get Barry Davies. Come on, babe, give him one more match. Anyway, I had to give those a couple of things I mentioned, but on to tonight's show, and we're kind of flipping the theme um, from what we did last week, actually. So we were talked about football coverage last week on the telly. Now we're talking kind of football-themed TV shows, and if we get time, we'll maybe mention some adverts and some films as well, because we've got a jam-packed show. Not only have we got three guests on the line to speak to, there's also two interviews to get your teeth into, uh, a former Liverpool player and someone from uh, the TV show that we talking about as well so there to come up but just before we meet tonight's guests let me just give you the homework you can follow us on twitter and on facebook at ak90s and of course you can listen to all the previous episodes on itunes where you can also subscribe to the pod with just a click of a button um, please do because it helps us and if you're feeling really generous of course like i always say drop us a little review and a five star rating that'll be brilliant and everyone can enjoy their 90s nostalgia trip but let's meet tonight's guest then uh, firstly a regular who we've been on the show plenty of time He's my northern ying to the southern yang of me. He's ITV's Joel Young. Good evening, sir. Good evening, sir. I was going to say we're getting a little bit late, aren't we, today? We are a bit. We had technical difficulties. Obviously, if you won't know this recording it, but we had technical, technical difficulties. So, um, yeah, he's worried because Borough kicking off in sort of 45 minutes, and I'm sure he's be listening to the radio. Won't you listen to that? I will be listening to it indeed, yeah, with probably... Is it Liverpool-West Ham tonight as well on the telly? Sorry, I'm instantly dating this to everybody who's listening next week. Sorry, everyone. But one thing I can give them credit is, like, they know the score more than I do. So, you know, they're in a better, better position than me and you are. Yeah, exactly. So, we'll know the score by that. But, yes, yeah, so we'll get quickly, as, as Joe wants to be on to see Jordan Rose maybe even start. Maybe he's on the, the pitch. He's on the bench. He's, he's on, on the, the bench, bench, is he? Oh, OK. Well, we'll see how he gets on. Uh, joining Joe, we have... Uh, Someone who joined us in, I think it was early weeks of the season when we did Sticker Pods, uh, which was one of our favourites we've done so far, uh, from the Daily Mail, James Andrew. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me back on. No, thank you for coming on. And lastly, we have a newbie, uh, one, one of the men behind the brilliant new YouTube channel, The Football Republic, <laughs> uh, Mr. Neil Smythe. How are you doing, sir? Even all, even all. I've noticed you've mentioned Middlesbrough, you've mentioned Liverpool, you haven't mentioned Oxford Mansfield. Oxford Mansfield, big game. Big yeah, game for you. Very guys. big game. We'll talk more Oxford in just a second. But here's a few things that happened in the 90s this week. On the 9th of February 1994, Bolton knocked out Arsenal, the FA Cup, with a 3 1 win at Highbury. On the 10th of February 1999, caretaker manager Howard Wilkinson picks Lee Dixon for England's game against France six years after his last cap. On the 11th of February 1998, at 18 years old and just 59 days, Michael Owen becomes the youngest international of the 20th century when he makes his debut against Chile. On the 12th of February 1997, England suffered their first World Cup qualifying defeat at Wembley with a 1-0 loss to Italy when Gianfranco Zola scored. Uh, on the 13th of February 1989, Arsenal's FA Cup tie with Sheffield United is ordered to be replayed after Nwanko Kanu's unsportsmanlike winner. If you remember, he, he carried on the throw, throw on to call a goal instead of just throwing it back to the keeper. Uh, and on the 15th of February 1993, Ian Porterfield becomes the first ever Premier League manager to be sacked as he loses his job as Chelsea boss. Good one for your pub quiz knowledge, that. Uh, oh, and also on the 15th of February 1995, England's friendly with Ireland is abandoned after just 27 minutes due to crowd trouble. So um, let's really quickly speed through um, a little bit of CV. So Neil, I, I asked you earlier, and you can tell the listeners now, you're an Oxford United fan, so tell us your favourite 90s player from Oxford. 
Uh, there's only one. It's Joey Beecham, right? The West Ham legend that is Joey Beecham. <laughs> the what? Did he even play for West Ham in the end? I, I think there was possibly one game and that was it. He got homesick. Yes. And, and overall, if from the 90s, who would you pick? Well, I, at non-Oxford players, if I have to, I'm going to go obvious. I'm going to go Cantona and Letizia. Yeah. I think they made my life easier when you're trying to edit uh, great highlights from football matches and you've got those two, then you can't do better than that. No, two names that we're very familiar with. Um, on that theme, James, you're your second pod. So when it's second time round, we like to ask uh, about matches. You're a Fulham fan, so can yep. you pick a Fulham game from the 90s? Yeah, a game that just sneaks into the decade. Uh, right at the end, um, Fulham 3, Spurs 1 in the Worthington Cup, I think it was then. Um, Barry Hales, Wayne Collins and Jeff Horsfield all scored. Uh, first time in my memory we'd beaten Spurs and... Growing up with a lot of Spurs friends, uh, it was a very nice moment. Uh, we went on to beat them a few more times and lose heavily a few times in the years to come, but that was the first one I remember. And your favourite 90s matches outside of, uh, well, I was going to say Craven Cottage, of course. Yeah, so outside of Craven Cottage. Um, yeah, I don't know why I picked this one. I just remember watching it on TV. It was one you mentioned in your Great Matches pod, which was Liverpool 3, Man United 3. Yeah. Uh, United going 3-0 up after, I think, about 20 minutes. And then Liverpool coming back. Two goals from Nigel Clough and Neil Ruddock scoring. Don't know what it was. The black kit under the lights at Anfield. I just remember it from yeah watching it in, I think it was 94, 95, I think. Yeah, and Neil Ruddock hit his, hurt his head when he did that header, didn't he? Yes. At the end, yeah, and the equaliser. Um, Joe, we obviously done all your CV, so we're going to kick off with the theme then, because you were a little bit, last week you wished you were on the show, because you did your dissertation on football coverage in the 90s, didn't you? I, I absolutely did. I've never been so offended in all my life. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Was yeah. there anything you could have told us that we didn't mention on I, last week's I, I show? Actually, well, I actually wrote it in 2000 as well, so there you go. That's uh, that's the total thing. I, I don't know where else I could tell you. I could tell you that um, the match of the day were always planning to go on at 7 o'clock if oh. they had been allowed to by the Premier League. That was something that Niall Sloan told me, who's now head of football. Well, actually, where I work now, ITV, so that's probably going to get me fired. That's good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he said to me that we were saying, like, would you ever possibly do it? And he said, oh, we would love to do it. We would love to do it. And then when ITV eventually got round to putting the premiership on at seven o'clock, uh, the BBC kind of roundly laughed at him. And as it turned out, as I knew, that was always their plan. And I've got that on tape. I can back that up. I've still got the tape up, yeah. from 16 years ago. So, you know, I'm there with that one. So on that's the only thing tape. I could possibly have added. Is that on a cassette tape, though? It's on a cassette tape, yeah. With a, I taped it with a microphone up to the... Uh, plug up to the receiver and taped it like that but i have still got it <laughs> well we talked about soccer aim last week and that's brilliant to bring neil in because neil you actually worked on the show at the end of the 90s didn't you yeah i mean it very very end so i joined in what october 99 so that kind of counts right but i was there for eight years definitely yeah so i mean what are your memories of soccer am uh, around that era because by that point it was quite it was the juggernaut of a show wasn't it well, I, I guess I was part of that kind of second era. It's important to say I was a fan of the show before I joined. And that's really how I blagged myself a job on the show. You know, back in, in, in those very first days, you're looking at Shandy, uh, Jeff the Ref, yeah. uh, Aldo, Fenners, as it was. And I think Jeff and Aldo left. And that gave me and uh, Sheep had a chance to join. And uh, yeah, from, from then on, the, the next eight years were a bit of a blur, to be honest with you. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, it was such a, a a great show. We talked it briefly yesterday. What, you don't have to be nice about it, you know. No, it was. I mean, it, it, it's still got. It's a reason it's still going, of course. So, I mean, what what, do you, what makes it so good? Do you think? Um, what and what made it so good, Neil? Uh, so I can't really comment comment on now because the day I left was pretty much the last time I watched. Not for any reason other than the fact that it was my life for eight years, and I mm. found it too hard. So literally since then, I've I've watched um, Fenners do it because you know I, I wanted to see how he was getting on. But since then, I haven't really watched. In those days, I think as a fan, first and foremost, um, it was different. It was different. I mean, it didn't necessarily break the mold in the way that. Uh, fantasy football did uh, or Satan Greavesy back in my time but it was a show made for fans by fans and I think when we got it right and we didn't always get it right um, it, it was the fact that we thought about fans first and foremost and we looked at fo fo football from a, an alternative point of view you know we tried to pick yeah. those little those little tiny little 
grabs or third eyes or or bits that matches that they wouldn't be interested in showing and sky sports wouldn't necessarily be interested in showing those bits that perhaps went unnoticed i think that's when we got it right and that's what made the show exciting really and different i'm going to bring james and joel in james what are your memories of soccer am uh getting up at what i think it started early didn't it, it started about seven or eight o'clock in the yeah, early yeah, days. Yeah, originally yeah. eight o'clock yeah mind you and i had to get up a lot earlier than that <laughs> <laughs> and then and went on for about four hours and i would sit and watch it all the time you know all, all four hours and it would get you through to going off to football it was i loved it and i mean I, I still watch it occasionally now um but i yeah it was the glory years were sort of the the late 90s and the uh, the early 2000s i thought when it was that sort of longer format show and i think it was mentioned last week it was just the, the caliber of guests that get on the sort mm. of the regular features that just the fans enjoyed and and it, and it worked Mm. Joe, you used to um, work with Mr. Lovejoy as well, didn't you? I did, yeah. I worked with Tim for two years. And it's interesting uh, that Neil says, you know, he's never watched it since because that's the exact same thing that Tim says to me. Um, I remember we had a big, long conversation about it and he just said he still counts it as his baby. He Obviously, because Tim, Tim was not only presenting it, but I think he was writing, producing just about every other job you could you could have possibly done on it is that right Neil? yeah that's right and in fact it, it's a very strange position to be in in telly to be the presenter and the producer so tim was the guy who was you know the, the, the face of the show but he was also our boss and that's that's a really tough job i've got to say and i've got to say by the way i know i'm the one who's talking about this but uh, the most important thing about that show was that it was a team and we all we all worked for the show. We didn't really work for ourselves. We just loved making the show. I think I I, I talked to Tim about. As I said, I've only ever worked with Tim as the talent, and I understand that he was a hard taskmaster, which he admits quite freely now. <laughs> that is that is that is true. That is true. <laughs> but again, look, we work in a creative world. I don't believe you can create something particularly creative without that little bit of friction. So we all had fallouts. Of course we did. But that's because we be- believe so passionately in the show. I think what he'd done is, as well, Tim had come from The Big Breakfast where he'd started off, um, pretty, you know, just writer, researcher, and ended up being a producer on uh, The Big Breakfast. He used to always tell me about the day he went to Middlesbrough looking for Janino, which is a whole other Ding, story. ding, ding, ding. There's our Janino <laughs> mentioned. There, there is, there 15 is. 15 minutes. Um, Go on, carry on. Basically, it was, it was, I mean, if you watched um, Soccer Extra, which was on, on yeah. a Sunday at that time, that was very straight with Russ Williams. And I think Helen presented that as well. Um, and that was very straight. He's the goals. But Tim went in and he, he, taught, he said this to me that he uh, wanted to take that big breakfast sensibility into the world of football, which you absolutely can't deny he did. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A ballsy move from him. It made his career and he made the show. We really supported him in, in that. And the big breakfast kind of reference is really important because I think he tried to bring that kind of production team ethos to, to soccer aim as well. Um, and as I say, I, I think for a while it worked. Yeah. Well, we'll move just back into the decade a bit, a few years before. And Neil, you already mentioned it uh, in terms of again a, another show that was really for a football crowd and really began the sort of shows that followed, like Soccer AM and like the shows you see today. And that's Fantasy Football League. Um, of course, took two relatively unknown comedians that let's let's search to a football crowd anyway. In David Bedil and Frank Skinner on a sofa doing fancy football. Uh, with Stato behind the desk as well. I mean, that's, that's turned to James. I mean, Fantasy Football League, what are your favourite things about that from the 90s? I think generally, I th- the thing I liked about it was it, it, it appealed to the football fan. And if you didn't know about football, it didn't really care. It, it, it appealed to the football fan. And that was their target audience. And um, just, I mean, again, the guests were really good. I was, I was watching a couple of YouTube clips earlier. Um, and, you know, they'd have Alan Hansen, John Motson, a young Karen Brady. Um, and current players like Dean Holdsworth, and then you know they'd get all the sort of legends back to do the Phoenix from the Frame, Flames, sorry, and it was just something that no one had ever seen before. And uh, a bit like TFI Friday, I wouldn't want to see it come back, um, to be honest, because I'm quite happy with it in yeah. the memory. Yeah, well, it started as a radio show. I'm not sure people know that, and just a kind of a straight kind of fantasy league option to it. But then it turned Dominic into... Diamond, as I believe. There you go. Yeah, and then it turned into this kind of. TV show, and then it had things like James mentioned the Phoenix from the Flames, the Pele was shy, Saving Greasy talk about the NZ League. It became such a massive deal, and the guests were amazing. Uh, what are your favourite things from it, Joe? 
Oh, and I always remember Jeff Astle singing, and of Frank's going Frank, Frank's to just tell he tells this story about it where he, a lot of West Brom fans were kind of giving him grief for it, saying, "How dare you do this to Jeff Astle? He scored the winner in is it? I think the nineteen sixty seven FA Cup final. I know none of us were around. Yeah. Um, so, and he tells the story where um, he felt a lot, lots of West Brom fans felt that they were humiliating Jeff Astle on that, and, and actually nothing could be further than the truth. And Jeff Astle was having a whale of a time and enjoyed this kind of second career thanks to the thanks to the fact that he just came on and, did, uh, and sang a bit and he'd go and do club appearances and go and sing a song really badly you know and he didn't know the words to half the songs he knew or didn't even know the tune half the time so that's the thing that always sticks out not necessarily the um, feature part of it but the fact that you know Frank originally got the grief and then later on you know it was accepted in it in it you know it, it helped out hero of his actually in the end financially as well as um, notoriety yeah, I mean, I think the two sort of moments, the, the standout moments from the show is obviously Three Lions, which we'll talk about in our music pod uh, later in the season, but also the Jason Lee debacle. I mean, he blamed <laughs> Fantasy Football League for his, uh, well, erratic play, uh, the fact he didn't score very much, the Nottingham Forest strike. What was, what was interesting about that is David Baddiel said later on, um, he said it was fine for them to go out and they could go and sort of rip it out of Ronaldo or Alan Shearer or Gaza or somebody like that because they were genuinely world-class players and it kind of didn't matter what they did to them because it wasn't going to affect them because they were super players whose confidence wouldn't be affected because they knew they were the best. But they said with somebody like uh, with somebody like uh, Jason, it was it was a matter of um, they could easily knock his confidence because he, he wasn't world-class. He was probably somewhere between a championship and a, and a Premier League now and probably only championship. And they said, and, and they, they never really took that into account at the time that it would have a real devastating effect on his career. And I think it did really. Yeah. But well. Just to jump in on there, that, that was the thing for me that really typified the show. and I, I didn't really know that. The fact that the show didn't take football seriously. I've always felt that a lot of people take football too seriously broadcasters fans and that show was a bunch of idiots just <laughs> having a laugh at football yeah. and the fact that jason lee then blamed it for the demise of his career that, that, that's ridiculous yeah i know it was i mean what other we've mentioned a lot of things from the show there neil but did you, you guys take anything the style or anything from that at soccer am was that kind of something that was really much in the ethos <laughs> at soccer am are you, are you implying that not all of our ideas at soccer <laughs> no, were entirely original <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't sound like love joe <laughs> no the thing was I, I, I don't recall us ripping off any specific ideas it was the the ethos yeah it was just the idea that you looked at football from an alternative angle and that you didn't take it too seriously and we at the time and i'm very much aware that it wasn't to everyone's taste because some people really feel passionately that football should be taken seriously but um we just simply couldn't you know we had to look at it with that with that different eye yeah no great great show and of course there was angus long and stato as well and i you know i think i still shout at people stato stato when stats uh, kind of rolled out so that's thanks to that show and um, we're going to move on now and talk uh, about uh, another towards the end of the 90s a, a drama football drama uh, from sky one and the team harchester united but before we talk to the guys here we've actually got someone who played sean hocknell in the soap um talking to us on the phone we spoke to him earlier some great memories here of dream team so here is dame britain aka sean hocknell dame and britain welcome to alive and kick in hello mate how are you doing you're all right I'm very well. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're talking TV no show tonight, and Dream Team was a massive one. It started in 1997. Uh, for those who don't remember, tell us about your character, Sean Hocknell, and how you got involved with the show. Oh, well, it's a long time ago, man. Um, but yeah, I played um, Sean Hocknell, who was the younger brother um, of Dean Hocknell, and started in Series 1, as you say, in 97. Uh, I was in for a two and a bit series, so I left in 99. Um, it came back for me. I was um, I was 19 year old, quite new in the industry, um, and got a call from my agent who was based in Newcastle at the time, saying I had a casting for a, a TV show about football. Now at the time I couldn't play football to save my life, in all honesty, um, <laughs> but I was a decent enough actor. I like to think that, so I, I thought I'd be able to get away with it. So the first casting we had was in Manchester. It was a football uh, audition, um, so I turned up and I thought, well, the one thing I was good at was keeping up the ball. I could juggle the ball quite well, um, but I couldn't play the game to save my life. So I thought if I could just stand on the sideline 
and juggle the ball as, as, as best as I could um, and try to avoid any game situation <laughs> that I might be able to slip through the net. And it seemed to work. I turned up um, in Manchester with my Newcastle top on and uh, got through the first audition. And then after that, it was they ran it like an ensemble audition. So you'd be in a room with 30 guys and they were just uh, moving the characters around and you'd read for different roles. And I was cast quite early on in the process. Um, and then we embarked on finding um, finding a brother. I was actually cast as Dean first of all, but we ah. couldn't find anyone. He, we couldn't find anyone to play the younger character, so they suggested putting me as Sean and looking for someone older. And that's when we found Darren Morfitt. Uh, he came and he cast. Uh, I was casting with a number of different actors at the time. Darren came in and, and we read together, and uh, it, it sounded you know sounded good. And um, and and they were very happy with the with the pairing. And although. A lot of my friends in Newcastle were a bit frustrated because he's from Middlesbrough and I'm from Newcastle. <laughs> they could spot the difference in the accent, but nobody else could. So, uh, yeah, and that's how it all getting started. And then we, we, we were moved to Bushy um, near Watford and we had a couple of months um, bonding time, rehearsals. I mean, it's incredibly rare now to have that kind of luxury, you know, to, to you know to spend time with each other and get to know each other and workshop together. Uh, and then we started filming and it was, uh, yeah, I was 19, mate. First time away from home, it was, it was an aft absolute gift of a, of a job it's fantastic it was a really good t- time in my life yeah I remember series one I mean Sky went quite all out on it because I had Ron Atkinson I think Dean Sturridge appeared <laughs> in the first series as well I mean what, was that a bit Mate, bizarre insane. having those I'll tell you what around. was more i tell you what was it was crazy because we turned up and again we were staying in the halls of residence in Bushy and so it was incredibly low key the way we were shooting it it was very fast turnover so we're shooting, uh, shooting a lot of pages a day um, so it was very busy but we didn't quite know exactly what kind of an impact the show was going to have until Sky started to promote it. And um, again, I mean, like, for example, I was literally like on on a Friday night, went back to my halls and I was going to come home and I thought, no, I'm, I'll just stay. I'll do a bit of washing. And I'll just chill for the weekend. And I got a phone call on the Friday night from the press office at Sky saying, are you busy at the weekend? And it was like, no, I'm just kind of hanging out really. And they were like, well, do you want to go to, to Germany? Um, do you have a passport? Do you have a suit? Do you have, and I was like, well, I've got a passport, but it's in Newcastle. And I don't own a suit because I'm 19 year old and you can't get one to fit me. <laughs> and they literally took my sizes, sent a motorbike courier to Newcastle to pick up my passport. And the next day I was on my way to Munich for the opening of a Planet Hollywood um, restaurant. And it was just absolutely insane, you know, being interviewed by Arnold Schwarzenegger and on, on camera so they could broadcast it in the UK. They were just trying to create a buzz. They were just trying mm. to put us in, in diff- you know, we weren't like premieres and stuff, man, just to be seen and just so they could kind of start getting our faces out there. And it was all a bit of a whirlwind. And then the show broadcast and it went, obviously went down really well. And, um, you know, and then, yeah, I think it was when we started filming season two, um, th- th- there was there was a buzz about the show and it it got really exciting then because you know like the sponsorship deals were coming in you know we were like all of a sudden the, the you know we had like we had the Adidas Predator football boots and you know all this stuff was starting to come yeah. through the door then because the show had a bit of a profile but it was um it was exciting I think looking back mate they, they cast it so well we had a really really strong ensemble cast and um and it was I think the original story. Uh, having talked to the exec producer, the original story was going to be about the youth team. Yeah, and then the first when the lads get, was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. All about the youth team. And what was going to happen was the guy, the lads were going to either get the contract or not. And they would then move away. And then series two would be about another group of young lads going through the same process. But by the time we got to the end of the series, it was like 46 episodes. The, the exec producer and, and the audience were so attached to the characters that they wanted they wanted to know. They didn't want to see another bunch of lads come to the process. They wanted to see what, how Sean was going to react to being on X amount of thousands a week, you know, to being in the premiership. They wanted to see him with Fletcher. You know, they, they wanted to follow these characters on that journey. So then it became, you know, like it was then the premiership and it was, you know, you get the models in and the faster cars. And yeah, so it, it, they, the format of the show changed but only because, I think they wrote the characters so well in the early in, in, in the earlier in the early, well in, in the first series. I think they were so engaging that people wanted to follow their story. Mm. Sean had a lot of fun as well in the first in in the time he was there. You know the uh, affair with his brother's <laughs> wife. Uh, yeah, the marriage to Misha wasn't it? If I remember rightly. <laughs> yeah, Vegas baby. Yeah, man. Yeah, but well, you know it's funny because um, <clears throat> it was Terry Kiley's fortieth birthday um, just before Christmas, and I went down to London. 
and he hadn't really caught up properly for a while and I went down and stayed with him and uh, Terry played Fletcher in the show um, and obviously they put us together for series two we had a lot of stuff to do together and um, it would just make we just reminisced man it was such a such a laugh they, they, we hadn't really had much to do with each other in series one but the plan was we were told that series two you guys are going to be living together have a lot of storylines so Terry came to Newcastle for a weekend before he finished I'm sorry just as we started filming series two and we had this weekend of bonding and just realized that we were so similar and you know our, our kind of upbringings were very similar and mate like as, as an acting job that 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 period of time series two was some of the best times i've ever had on a set it was just such a laugh such a joy to work with him it really was you mentioned Ron Axon earlier. Was he any good of an actor? What was he like to hang around with in the first series? <laughs> it was interesting. Again, you know, like I, I came into this show, man, like, you know, the first job, and I'm ringing home saying, we've got Ron Atkinson on set, you know, <laughs> we, you know what I mean? Like, we had, like, we got, like, Beckham across for an episode. We had, like, um, Frank Lampard Jr. down. It was, you know, all these footballers were just dipping in to do little, you know, little, little cameo appearances. And Rob was great. He came in, obviously not an actor, but he was such a presence on set that, you know, he, he kind of did what he needed to do. And, and, and again, he kind of sold the whole, this is about football. You've got a face as recognisable and a character is kind of big as one Atkinson. Then, you know, it just set up the first episode brilliantly. Mm. You mentioned the little kind of little storming out, you know, like, I've said I've had enough. You know, good luck to <laughs> him. Kind of, off he goes. And he's little Connor just kind of, you know, lost. Fresh from Ireland, not know where to go. <laughs> You mentioned you saw Terry at Christmas. Is there other members of the cast you, you keep in touch with? Yes, I see. Well, I speak to Phil Barantini, who played um, Billy O'Neill. Mm-hmm. I speak to him quite regularly. Um, uh, he, we, we lived together during my time on Series 2, um, so I keep in touch with him. Um, I, I, I passed across with um, uh, with Michael Legg. Again, just, it was, I haven't spoke to Michael for years. Man. I was really, we, we lived together in Series 1. Um, and it was just a, a pass across on social media, so it was, it was nice to see what he's up to and keeping busy. Uh, but Terry's the main one, really. I, I created quite a quite a strong bond with Terry. Um, he's a good guy. I love him a bit, and it's just nice to, you know, nice to catch up with him every now and again. And we constantly reminisce about, you know, the days in Dream Team. It's time to bring it back, surely, isn't it? We need a reunion, don't we? Well, you know, if, um, about three years ago, we had like an unofficial reunion in Watford in Bushy. At the Red Lion Pub, we all get together, and Ali King turned up. Um, uh, Phil was there, and uh, Emma, who played one of the Canteen Girls. It was quite, it was quite a good turn up. Some of the crew turned up as well, um, and we all sat and had a bit of a catch. It was weird because, again, like, I hadn't seen the majority of them since I left the show in '99, um, and we all met up at the Red Lion Pub where we used to go for lunches and stuff and for a drink after work, and after like 15, 20 minutes of sitting there, it was like we'd never been apart. Mm. It was just, uh, it was really nice to catch up with people and see those who are still working in the industry, those who have moved on and to, you know, to do something else. It's just nice to see how, uh, how people's careers have moved forward, you know. Mm. I still play the game where I'm watching something. If I see someone from Dream Team, I'm kind of shouting at the screen, going, oh, look, it's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know, it's really interesting actually seeing how many, because there was such... Such a, an array of talent came through the show. So many people were in it. Um, and again, a lot of them have, have gone on to do some, some great things, man. It, it is nice to see faces and see people still working, still people, you know, people still graphing away. Do you own, still own a Hardest of Shirt? Do they let you keep you in it, any of the show? Do you know, I do, mate. I do. <laughs> I, uh, I recently redecorated it. It was on, I've got it framed, well, it got it, got it um, like framed and kind of mounted with. Some some promotional images from the show, so it's this big kind of like this big set piece in my house, and we redecorated um, a couple of years ago, and I took it down and thought, you know what, it's gonna have to go in the loft. And, no. <laughs> well, well, it, it, I wrapped it all up, and I was I was I put it up in the loft, and my wife was like, why why are you sticking in the loft? I said, well, it's you know, it's it's close to twenty years, it's coming up to twenty years, you know. Um, and she was like, but it's such a huge part of, of what, I mean, still, I'm still acting, I'm still in the industry, you know, so I'm still working. And she was like, it's still, it's such a huge part. And it's, and it's in the constant talking point. So it's back up on the stairs, mate. Yeah, that's what we like. You should put I don't think I'll ever be able to take it down with number 15. I don't think I'll, I'll take, I'll take one actually. I'll, I'll send it across to you. Yeah, put it on Twitter. I'll send it to you later. Yeah, that'd be but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's got a pride of place, mate. I think it always will because it, it was, 
it was kind of, it was like my drama school. It was my first time away from home, my first professional gig. Um, I was 19. I did like 120 episodes of it, met some amazing people and had the time of my life. And, and it's one of those, it's incredibly nostalgic to think back to those days. And I just can't, I can't really say goodbye to the character because it was such a huge part of, it was set me up, set me up for, you know, a career that that's, it's almost two decades now that I've been in the, in the industry. And I think without Dream Team, without that training ground, without that fun um, and, and, you know, and that experience coming away from it, I don't think I'd have lasted this long, to be honest, because it, mm. it was an incredible learning curve for me and for, and for a lot of actors that were on the show. Well, I'm sure that people will love hearing your, your memories. I know there's a big following it on Twitter. We'd love to see it back or even just repeated on Sky. Yeah. So it would be brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to us, Damon. May, thank you for, uh, yes, thank you for, for getting in touch, mate. Uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of my time on the show and I'm always happy to talk about it. So thanks for the support. Thanks for still loving it and thanks for chatting. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Damon. See you later. Bye. Great stuff there from uh, Dream Team. Let's talk about that then. I mean, for those who don't really remember or didn't really watch it, it was a football drama based around a sort of fantasy team called Harchester United based in the Midlands. Although, as we'll talk about them, they were usually Everton or Leicester when they were playing the games and they visualised their shirts. And it was firstly based on the youth team, as Damon said there. Uh, it just featured a team, basically a Premier League team and the goings on and there were most ridiculous things that happened in the first episode the new star striker uh slept with the chairman's daughter on the ballroom table so that's kind of how it opened and they went on for more bizarre bizarre things but it was absolutely brilliant watching at the end of the 90s joe i know we spoke about it on a uh, uh, text the other day and we mentioned linda block of course in, in oh mrs part. block yeah linda as lewis more rodriguez used to call her, and i still shout at her at the tv screen when we watch cory and my wife's like stop saying it in a spanish accent um but <laughs> It was a great show, wasn't it, Joe? Well, well, it, it's funny that you should mention um, Alison King, isn't it, who, who played Linda Box. Now she's Carla Connor in Coronation Street. And if you go back and watch a few of them, it is nuts how many people went on to do other, you know, went and appear in Hollyoaks, Coronation Street, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's almost like the, ble- the breeding ground before mm. Hollyoaks was the breeding ground, really. But, um, yeah, Dream Team was, I, I think everybody remembers Fletch. I think Carl yeah, Fletcher, Carl Fletcher was, yeah, was yeah. the big one. And I think, I might be wrong here, but didn't he die by getting impaled on a doorknob or something like that? Or a clothes peg in a dressing room? I think a manager shoved him, that was it, a manager shoved him onto a, uh, a coat hanger, a coat peg in the dressing room before a match, no less, and killed him. That was the, that may have been the jump the shark moment for Dreams of Mine. <laughs> well, people, the, the problem was is that, you know, you mentioned there that it was, they had to base it around Leicester or Everton or anybody who played in blue because that's what they would colour correct to. Purple, here we go, all teletech. I know my stuff, don't worry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the TV man uh, spoken. The, the, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a tech. Um, but yeah, so they had to change the team every season, depending on who Everton or Leicester kind of bought or what was going on or whether Leicester were even in the Premier League or not. Um, so that was why they had to do like a mad stunt at the end of each series to either kill off half the team in a fire or a, uh, you know, or a fire, or I remember a coach crass once on the way to the European Cup final, yeah, I think. Yeah. So, you know, there was loads of uh, sort of crazy things like that, but that was the reason for it and why they had to chop and change all the time. I think my favourite was John Black getting shot at the FA Cup final by a sniper that was meant for Linda Block. I mean, <laughs> if that's not the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard, it's probably the what? only thing that hasn't happened at QPR or Leeds, probably. But what was the name of their ground? Oh, the, well, they called it the Dragon's Lair or the Dragon's Den, didn't they? That's what I thought it was called, the Dragon's Lair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. James, what, what do you remember about Dream Team? And, I mean, I remember the first season had Ron Atkinson and Dean Sturridge in it. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah, I remember, I remember them. In, I mean, what I liked about it as a, as a football fan growing up and just wanting to consume all sort of football on the television was it was a Sky program and Sky really sort of threw everything behind yeah. it. So they would, you know, they would have Sky Sports News presenters and, I mean, before Sky Sports News, you'd have breaking news on Sky News, which was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, they'd put all the, and, you know, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray and all, all these sort of people would make their sort of cameos in it to, to, to make it more realistic, which, you know, it, although you could tell it was Emil Heskey scoring or, or whoever, um, you, could, you could kind of buy into it. I mean, the storylines were ridiculous, but the storylines in, you know, EastEnders or Coronation yeah. Street are ridiculous as well. So I, I loved it. Um, and, you know, it went on for 10 years. Um, so, it had, and it's got a huge fan base. I know there's a sort of, um, there's, the, 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 there's a campaign to try and get yeah. this guy to, to re-show, re-show them. And I mean, there's, yeah, there's a huge, um, 
It's a huge fan base for it. Yeah, you could buy the kits, I remember. I've got one sitting in my office. Oh. <laughs> I've got, I'll put it on Twitter. I think I put it on Twitter already. Yeah, it's an extra large size, unfortunately. But when I was doing the AK90s book, I wanted to to show the kit. And yeah, we managed to find one on eBay. Um, so yeah, it's an extra large size. But it's one of the original first two series as well, because they changed the kind of badge. I thought maybe early noughties. Uh, but it's nice. One from the first couple of series with Frank Patcham, uh, who was the manager, and Ray Wyatt as well. Uh, a couple <laughs> of names from the from the early series. But I think my favourite Dream Team story is uh, when it mixed with a real world, and that was in 1999 when Didier Baptiste, who was a centre back, Harchester United, not even French, an actor, but he got linked with Liverpool in the news of the world, which was just brilliant. I don't. It, <laughs> That's lazy journalism. I don't know. Neil was obviously quite quiet because you, you weren't a Dream Team fan, Neil, were you? But from what hearing this, do you wish you watched it? It sounds more exciting than I thought it was at the time, I must admit. I watched epi- every episode of that um, Mile High Stuart S drama that they, the same company did. Yeah. No, Dream Team, I wouldn't say it passed me by, but I never watched. So nothing on my locker with this one, I'm afraid. Oh, a great show. It obviously was the prelude to Footballers' Wives as well. I think that's what ITV looked at, how successful Dream Team was, and kind of switched it. So all that, that focused more, obviously, on the wags. Um, I think this is where it came from, because there were a few wags in Dream Team as well. And as we mentioned, Alison King, who, who played Alindeva Block as well. So no, great memories from Dream Team. So we're going to move from TV series now to talk about a few one-offs um, that happened during the 90s. These are usually quite obscure, so I'm, I'm sure the boys have done their research, even if they don't remember uh, some of them. Um, I just The ones I want to briefly mention, uh, there was an evening with Gary Lineker that starred Marty Clues, uh, Caroline Quinton, uh, before the men being badly days, and it was kind of, uh, it was set on the stage play, actually, um, and Gary Lineker appeared in it. Uh, there was Born Kicking, a really obscure BBC drama that had a girl playing football, and it was personal to me because it was all based around Loftus Road, and even the team that she played for uh, had a kind of QPR old kit. I think it was the old Brooks kit they were wearing. But possibly my favourite, and we'll talk about this slightly more, is My Summer with Des, uh, which was a drama that was shown during 1998, um, but was set around Euro 96, and it starred Neil Morrissey and Rachel Weisz. Um, it was kind of a love story, but with a setting of Euro 96. And it was a brilliant mix of kind of football, romance. And that summer that was we'll talk about later in the, in the season, Euro 96, but it really summed up that summer. Um, I don't know who wants to jump in, but anyone remember some, my summer with Des? I think, again, it was, it was one of those that showed the acceptance of football to the kind of almost middle class crowd, I suppose. You know, the sort of homogenisation of it was. And, and now all of a sudden it was fine to sort of base a big and it was a big budget BBC drama based around Euro 96 and it had only been two years before when it came out and obviously uh, I think was it Rachel Weisz's first big yeah a bit big, of first appearance role. really yeah and now look at her Mrs James Bond exactly yeah and Neil Morrissey's yeah um <laughs> he, <laughs> he was he was he was Tony so he didn't really marry in the 90s I mean got, uh, uh, Neil do you remember it no <laughs> Wikipedia, I have no idea. It sounds fantastic, man. I've, I've got to check it out. Is it on VHS? It is. Oh, I think it's on VHS, but I think it's on YouTube as well. I think I watched it uh, on YouTube while I was uh, researching a couple of things last year. So the, the, the whole thing is on YouTube. It's really worth watching. Uh, James, is it something you recall or you'll be searching it out afterwards? Um, I, I do remember watching it. Was, again, it was one of those things, if, if as, it, as with uh, An Evening with Gary Lineker, anything football-related, I... I would watch whether or not it was kind of aimed at a football fan or not. Um, and, and just before the show, I, I, I did, I, I looked it up on YouTube and I, I watched the first sort of 10 minutes just to kind of remind myself. And there's a great scene where he quits his job um, and gives a speech to his boss, which I think probably most people at some point in, in one job or another would, would love to do. Um, but yeah, I, I will be watching it again, I think um, because uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those one-off dramas that, uh, you know, you don't really get that many anymore. It was very, yeah, it was very unique. And Des Lyman, that's where the Des comes in from. He makes an appearance at the end. And I think David Seaman makes a cameo in it as well. Um, Peter I, Shilton as well. Yeah, he's Peter Shilton. Yeah, he's in it as well. Um, the moment I always remember as well, and I think maybe this was because I was a teenager growing up as well, is him watching the Scotland game. It, I think he's uh, kind of getting a bit rambunctious with Rachel Weiss, and he reached happy point just as England scored. So that's kind of a moment I think every man dreams of doing those two things together. But yeah, great, great drama from the 90s there, as was an evening with Gary Lineker and Born Kicking. Um, a couple of kids shows I wanted to mention as well. I didn't say this to the guys beforehand, so I don't know if they'll recall this. Um, but there used to be a cartoon back in the 90s uh, called The Hurricanes. 
which was about a, a football team, uh, kind of a bit of a superhero type football team. They used to take on teams from around the world, which was quite fun. They had a little uh, card set that went with it and a few merchandise. I found a lunchbox of it on eBay the other day, that, so it, it did quit quite far. And then Nickelodeon's Renford Rejects, um, which was another a, a sort of kids show, and it was a kind of a comedy, live action comedy about a five side team who weren't very good. Um, and they were the rejects of the five-a-side leagues, and that was quite fun. And kind sounds of, like a, sounds like a nineties remake of Jossie's Giants to me. Yeah, it was a little bit like that. And again, these are very obscure. I'm, I, I'm like James, where if it was football related, it kind of it I kind of consumed it. And these two shows are very niche: the Hurricanes and and Renford Rejects. But uh, the, the Renford Rejects had some great cameos in it, including sort of Ian Rush, Jeremy Franco Zola. Uh, Harry Redknapp and Jim Rosenthal was a regular on there as well. So it was a it was a it was a fun show. Uh, I don't know, James, you recall that? Um, I don't. But uh, <laughs> I mentioned I, me- I mentioned it to somebody at work who's a bit younger and a Chelsea fan, and he was raving about it and saying, yeah, as you said, Zola was in it, and I think Roberto Di Matteo popped up mm-hmm. in it as well. Um, but I, I I don't actually remember it. I have to be honest. Oh, <laughs> Me neither, considering if it was a kid's show, I was 20 in 1990, <laughs> so you're making me feel really, really old. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let's talk about a film then from the 90s that was, uh, I say popular, but popular definitely amongst the football crowd and a proper rags to riches tale, and that was When Saturday Comes. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. With Sean Bean, uh, and I think it was Emily, oh, I can't remember her name now, my name escapes me, but um, yeah, and uh, again, Emily, another lot. Is lo- Emily Lloyd Pack that's in that? I Maybe. Yeah, it's an Emily something. Emily Lloyd, there we go. That's it, Emily Lloyd it was, and Pete Postlewaite as well, the late Pete Postlewaite. And again, this is another rags to riches. You know, Sean Bean's a down and out kind of, I think he's a mill worker or something like that. And he go, what his dream is to play for Sheffield United, even though when the film's recorded, I think he's in his mid thirties, but he gets a trial. Then he messes it up and then he gets his magic day of playing for Sheffield United or United as they call it in Sheffield. Neil, is that more to your remembrance? I remember it, but isn't it just, I don't want to put it down on a bit. Isn't it just one in a very long list of useless football films? Oh yes. <laughs> Instantly forgettable. It's Fever Pitch Aside. I mean, Fever Pitch Aside is another 90s film of, based on the book. But, um, quite, you know, that was pretty much because it was based on such a popular book. But when Saturday comes, Joe, you had a cheer then. So you obviously remember it quite well. I just remember it was just so improbable. I think he was a brickie. Yeah. Something like a fa- yeah, some sort of factory worker that Margaret Thatcher wouldn't like. like uh, uh, playing Wednesday or something? Or is it... Uh, I remember the very last minute is the penalty. And he, who is on his debut, and he's just come on off the bench has to take this penalty. And, that, and that's just the, the one thing that sticks out about it. I, I remember he sitting there going, this is hogwash. But even for one of these silly hogwash films, this is really hogwash. He'd never get to take that penalty. He'd be he'd be the last one to take yeah. a penalty. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I remember. You know, um, sorry, go on, carry on. I had another thought about another football film, but it escapes me completely. So let's forget about it. It wasn't ID, was it? That Shadwell R. Shadwell. <laughs> Shadwell, yeah. You were meant to believe that the kid off Home to Roost was now a real hardcore hooligan. And Dr. Truman, later Dr. Truman in EastEnders as well. Who yeah, uh, Reese Dinsdale is the guy who's the copper who goes and infiltrates the hooligan squad. Is that right? Am I, yeah, I got something, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's his name, yeah. Later, later was hooked up with Gale in Coronation Street, so, you know, things can always get worse. <laughs> James, we've gone from good to bad there. Do you have <laughs> memories of when Saturday comes and ID? I do. I definitely remember. I remember I've definitely watched uh, ID, and I remember watching when Saturday comes, and uh, if, you, if no one has, if, if there's anyone who hasn't seen it, there's a very uh, good three-minute trailer on YouTube that pretty much gives the whole story away. Um... <laughs> So you'd uh, you don't, but yeah, I mean, I do remember watching it, and I think, as has been mentioned, football films aren't very good, and I think the problem with football films is any football film with football in it, really, because it just doesn't come across very well. But this was a game against Manchester United, wasn't it? An FA yeah. Cup game. They filmed it at was, half time, didn't they? they filmed there you it go, that's it. Time, yeah. Which was that game? A Cantona scored a goal in that game, the actual game, I think. Um, with the but, Heath shirt, that one, I think that was. The, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. One um, one. Sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say, an ID, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, well, it's the first of those it, those sort of football hooligan films yeah. that went on to be uh, quite popular in the next decade, I guess. Mm. I, remember, better, I remember watching it with my best friend. I think we must have only been about 14. And, of course, there's a typical bit where the Reese Dinsdale character is having sex with his wife, and that was just the point that my best mate's dad walked in the room. <laughs> what's, this you, what's this you're watching? It's about football. No, it isn't about football. This is filth. Turn this no, it's about football. No, it's not. And instantly banished, and I wasn't allowed around the house for a month, so there you go. 
Brilliant. Well, before we go, we're going to just do it quickly, run through uh, some football adverts, because um, there were loads of those in the 90s as well. Um, I'm, again, I'll mention a couple. I mean, the one I, the one I always remember is the Nike one with Eric Cantona and the devil team with the Au Revoir. That was very popular amongst the 90s. You have uh, John Barnes and his Lucas Ayad when we all tried to kick a Lucas A can into a bin, whatever it was near. When he's been through 90 minutes of sheer hell. There you go. Perfectly timed there, Joe. Uh, the Pizza Hut ad, which we'll talk about later in the season at Euro 96, of course, with Gareth Southgate, Pierce and uh, Chris Waddle, uh, Gary Lineker and Walkers. Um, I mean, the list goes on. Ian Wright and Chicken Tonight was another one. Uh, the famous Scott Parker McDonald's advert where he did all the kick-ups and we wondered if that kid would ever be that good. Well, he was, it was good. It probably wasn't that skillful. You'd know, James, being a, a Fulham fan and seeing Scott Parker. But do you remember him in the McDonald's advert? Yeah, I do. Um, I remember, yeah, doing some keepy-uppies. I don't know what skill he learnt first, that or just running in circles. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, no, he was, yeah, it's always quite nice to look back on an advert and, you know, see these young kids who, who actually do go and have a decent career. And he has had a decent career. Maybe not at Fulham, but he has had a, you know, his player of the year a couple of years ago at West Ham. Um, and, yeah, I remember that and the John Barnes one, getting a Lucas A can. Not, don't think he paid for it. Um, and, yeah, you meant, I mean, obviously, Gary Lineker's still doing the Walkers adverts, isn't yeah. he? Although it's not Salt and Lineker, uh, as it was in the 90s. Yeah, that one with Gaza, where yeah. he like, Gaza, have a crisp. Yeah, and the tear ducts come out of his eyes, yeah. Joe, what's your favourite 90s football advert? I was, I was going to say the, um, just the Lucas Ed one, because I always remember going around doing really bad impressions of John Barnes afterwards, going after 90 minutes of sheer hell. Or every time we came out of Essen Park, or even later on the Riverside, coming out going, 90 minutes of sheer hell, 90 minutes of sheer hell. So that always sticks in the back of my head. Although, luckily, the one time I did meet John Barnes, I didn't say it to him. So that was good. I was happy about that. <laughs> I want to hear, Neil hinted on that he had a story about Frank Lampard, and I want to hear that from the I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that, don't worry. That's what I want to hear. I'm going to just ask Neil for any adverts he wanted to mention. Neil, anything you want to mention advert-wise? What about the Nike Brazil World yeah. Cup? Wasn't that was in the 90s, wasn't it? That, that was, yeah, 98. KP-ups. Because, you yeah. know, was, 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 was Janine in that one as well? No, I don't think it's that one, sorry. <laughs> I, I just could. I, I'd like to see them try and shoot one of those nowadays. Keep, yeah. keep ups around an airport. That's not going to happen. No, it's not. It was the oh, uh, wasn't it? That was the tune to it. If I remember, that's that. the one. Yeah, no, that and the Nike. I mean, the Nike advert. I think still legendary. Still one of the best. All you know to have all that team. I think they had Maldini and Ian Ryan, Cafu and Patrick Cliver. I mean, that was a great advert. Uh, as I said, Ian Ryan. Uh, was on the chicken tonight. He had shredded wheat as well. I think Glenn Hoddle and Brian Clough did uh, some shredded wheat adverts as well back in the 90s. Uh, David Beckham and Brill Cream. Um, you had the sportswear brands, of course, as well. The, the classic Reebok ads where you had Ryan Giggs, uh, Andy Cole, Pitch Michael doing everyday jobs like a florist and a cheese maker and a farmer. They were brilliant as well. Um, and the Sky adverts as well. We mentioned on our Skypod with the, the live and kick in and obviously Sean Bean again doing that big speech. Um, but that's, yeah, that's go to Neil because he was, we talked to kind of pre-pod about some stories he had, especially about Fram Lampard from Soccer AM. So go on, Neil, give us, enlighten us some, some stories from that day. Uh, well, I'm not going to c- uh, claim it's the, uh, it's the most finessed anecdote in the world, but, um, <laughs> and it also strictly speaking, slips into the noughties if that's acceptable that's just acceptable yeah back back in the day um my my probably most vivid memories are what happened after the show um when you know quite often we'd head across to grasshoppers which was uh essentially the only place near sky where you could get a drink after the show uh and, and more often than not a lot of the players and the guests would come with us and you know one would turn to two and two would turn into three and then etc etc um this particular day was i think 2000 the day of the england germany match now unless i've got this completely wrong through the haze of history frank lampard was dropped from that game and decided for some reason he was going to hang out with us and drink in a bar in Richmond watching his teammates play um, Germany. Mm. And me being quite new to the profession, hanging out with Frank Lampard was such a big deal. Uh, One, turn into two, turn into three, turn into five. Two hours later, I was uh, practically unconscious uh, outside a bar in Richmond throwing up over Frank Lampard's shoes. <laughs> oh. uh, I'm sure Frank Lampard probably doesn't tell the story himself, but um, yeah, for me it was uh, not necessarily the highlight of my career. 
Um, but one of those memories that kind of sticks out, I'd say. Not the proudest moment of my life. We then had to go to, <laughs> we then had to go to the wedding of the soccer AM director. Uh, it was his wedding that evening, and he's due. And five of us turned up, rather worse for wear. And, and so I must apologise to Jules and Anne for uh, <laughs> practically ruining their wedding day. Good story. I once threw up on Bobby Davru's shoes at an, at an award ceremony, which was quite embarrassing as well. But he didn't seem to mind. We've all done it. No, Frank was very nice about it. <laughs> brilliant well that's a great story to leave on before we go i'd like to go around again just if there's anything else we haven't mentioned uh sort of on screen in the 90s james is there anything else you want to add uh i don't think so i mean i mean you mentioned fever pitch i, th- I think that is the uh, the best of the football films that's out there from the sort of 90s period um and you know a lot of fans can kind of relate to that i think Joe, is there anything you want to mention any more from Dream Team? <laughs> uh, oh, I'm all good. I just like to, you know, we mentioned the kit there. I always like that kit was made by Lecoq Sportif, even though yeah. I'm very much an Adidas man. You know, that always impressed, impressed me, the attention to detail. It went to uh, Puma but, later on in the in the noughties, I think. It changed to Puma, I think they had like, later on. But yeah, no, the original kit was Lecoq Sportif, yeah. Yeah. No, good stuff. Uh, but, I think we're all good. I think we're all good. The only one I didn't mention, um, again, was kind of a one-off little drama. Didn't last very long. It was actually produced by Gary Lineker, and it was about a uh, Englishman going to play for Barcelona, which obviously mirrored his own life. It was called All in the Game, um, so which basically was a three-part drama on BBC. Um, oh, no, I, I, I know something about that. I did appear in All in the Game. Oh, there we go. And another, another plug for Oxford United. I swear, I swear... I was an extra in All in the Game at Oxford United. So, I, yeah, I vaguely remember that. Oh, brilliant. And the only other thing I would mention is the sort of VHSs that were around in the day, like Danny Baker's own goals and gaffes, um, the uh, goals galore that used to come after every season, some of the, and the compilation videos. I mean, they were always essential viewing on screen. Um, something we will talk about as well is Do I Not Like That? We haven't forgotten, but we'll sort of add that into our uh, USA 94 pod that we'll do in a couple of weeks. Um, I always did like, I, and again, this is a Middlesbrough link, but can you remember on the Fast Show where there was the, the brand new football fan? Yeah. Played by John Thompson, who would just yeah. go along and go, football, and did you see the game last night? What game? And it always made me very pr- proud that the film does bits at the Riverside when it was brand new, gleaming, wonder of football. Yeah, the only, the only other things that I actually was like, and these are technically sport rather than just football, but you had uh, They Think It's All Over, which was a brilliant quiz show um, with Gary Lineker and uh, uh, Lee Hurst, I think the original was, and uh, Rory, what was his name? Rory? Rory McGrath. Rory McGrath. Yeah. That, that was a great show. And of course, Question of Sport, which is still going today, although it was more sterile in the 90s. I used to have a battle with my dad to see who could get the most points uh, on the football questions on Question of Sport, but that's still going. Probably more fun than it now than it probably was in the 90s. Any takers for Under the Moon, Ash? Ooh, Under, I remember I, Under the Moon. Oh. Well, I like a random one. Go on, tell me about Under the Moon, Neil. Sports show, but with a big football focus. Channel 4, Late Nights, Danny Wasn't Kelly. Channel 5? Ch- I seem to remember it being on Channel 5. You're probably right. Could have been, could have been. Danny Kelly, Tom Bins, the kind of very offbeat, slightly dodgy comedian, Lisa Rogers. Oh, okay. Ralph Little's ex. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. one? No takers? No. I'm going to well, take that. Life, that. phone in, chat show. It was, it was kind of like a sporting version of After Dark almost, wasn't yes. it? Where it just yes. went on and it was open-ended and they would talk about what had happened that night or they could just go off and, honestly, Danny Kelly being Danny Kelly will just go off into his myriad flights of fancy and they're wonderful. And I seem to remember it being open-ended for a long time. Well, there's one to Google for me for tonight. And if anyone else, make sure you Google everything else we've talked about. Because if you haven't seen some of the shows that we've we've spoken about, it's really worth checking out just to see one from a nostalgia point of view and some from just a more cringy point of view, especially things that happened in Dream Team. It was a fantastic show, but you won't believe the, the ridiculousness of some of the things that happened. But it just remains for me to say thank you to James. Thank you very much. Always good to have you on. Joe, as always, thank you, sir. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, we've just finished in time. I can exactly. I just thought that at the clock, you'll be fine for the Borough game. And Neil, well, thank you for sticking with us as well. Thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Um, next week, we are, I think I'm going to say it and probably regret it again, but we're hopeful fully we're going to do video games. So keep on. Third Twitter. time lucky. Third time lucky. Keep looking on the Twitter account and we should be able to confirm that later in the week. But if you stay on the line, we've got our second interview as well. We've done one which was an actor, but we're going to do our usual one, which is a footballer. We've got a great interview with former Liverpool winger David Thompson just after this. So until then, keep it 90s. Uh, David Thompson, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. 
Um, good to talk to you. Uh, we're going to take you back to, to the 90s and your uh, your breakthrough at Liverpool. Um, what did it mean for a, a local lad um, to come through the ranks there at Anfield? I think it's a, it's a fantastic achievement, especially um, you know when you look at it nowadays, how difficult it actually is. Uh, it was incredibly difficult then days as well. Um, so it's like a it's every boy's dream to make it at the local club and uh, to make it at a club like Liverpool is just a fantastic achievement as one I'm incredibly proud of. Absolutely. Were you the kind of era where you had to kind of really work for it as well with the old YTS and you going cleaning players' boots and stuff? Did you have to go through that kind of thing? Um, they were just changing it them days. But I know what you're saying. I've seen lads in front of me have to do all the chores, you know, the cleaning of the boots, the cleaning of the toilets, that type of thing. Uh, so that was a, it was an incredibly um, uh, strict time, but it eased off a little bit just as we were coming through. And, um, you know, there was more emphasis on, mm. on the discipline on the pitch rather than giving you discipline off the pitch. Um, and, I, you know, doing all them chores, I don't think it was one that would have sat, sat well with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job you didn't have to do too many then. Um, it was, no, I know. It was an era of uh, quite a lot of local... Talent at Liverpool, though, with the likes of Fowler and McManaman and later Stephen Gerrard, Jamie Carragher. What was it like for all of you, kind of, to play in the same team and as, as local lads and Liverpool fans? Well, if you look at it, right, I mean, Liverpool was still one of the one of the richest clubs in in, in, in Europe at the time. They could go out and buy anyone they wanted to, really. So it, it just it just shows you what an incredible achievement it was to get that many local lads through at that time. Um, it was an incredible achievement by the likes of Steve Highway and, and, the, and the coaching staff in mm. the academy. I mean, uh, you know, the players that came through, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, Jamie Carragher, Stephen Gerrard, you know, myself, Dominic Matteo. It's an unbelievable achievement, really. Mm. Some big names, big names. What, what would you say were your, your highlights from your time as, as a Liverpool first-teamer? Do you know, what, do you know the, the, the highlights, I think... To uh, just to actually make it and get through and, and know that you've achieved something, I mean, was it was an achievement in itself. But probably the highlights of the games when I'm, I'm, one that stands out in my memory was a game against Sheffield Wednesday, where all local lads scored that day. Michael mm-hmm. Owen, um, no, sorry, Danny Murphy, Stephen Gerrard, I got one, and um, I think Michael might have got one. I'm not too sure. But it was it was all local lads. Then another time was against Southampton when we won seven one. I think we had five local lads who scored. Robbie Fowler, Dominic, myself, Cara, Michael all getting on the score sheet. I mean, it was just I mean, to look back at it now, that I don't think you'll ever replicate that anywhere mm. in the world. Mm. Does it disappoint you now when you see kind of the current Liverpool team and some of the youngsters? Because there's been some names that, have, that we've seen that have had some good starts but not really coming through. Does it disappoint you as someone who did that, that not more players are coming through the ranks these days? It does disappoint me, but I, I mean, you can understand why why it's not happening. It's because there's no continuity at the club. I mean, they're chopping and changing the manager every three to four years. I mean, I think some of the academy lads are getting used to play one way for three or four years, maybe five years. And then all of a sudden, the you know the the style of plays change when a new manager comes in. He's probably got a different culture, you know, different work ethic. Likes to play different tactics. So the kids are all having to readjust again. There's no continuity, you know. It's all about. I mean, when I come through to to, to Liverpool, I'd played for under Steve Highway. Yeah. Since I was nine, he'd been telling the coaching staff the likes of Roy Evans, the boot room. Everybody was there, all about the best players coming through and the ones who can handle it, the mentality, you know, and you've been viewed for the last nine years, so they know whether you can make it in the first team or not. I mean, you look at it now, every three to four years it's changed. Yeah. The players have to readjust, the whole staff have to readjust. It's not good for, for, for local talent. Mm. Yeah, going back, you mentioned Roy Evans there. You were at the club when Roy and Gerard were in joint charge, which is something you don't really see a lot of in football then and now. What how was that? What was that like? The dynamic between them two? It was very bizarre. Um, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't something I understood, or any of the other players understood. We just knew it was there to soften the blow, and uh, eventually Roy was going to was, was going to get the bu- was going to get the bullet. And I 
had a lot of respect for Roy Evans. He gave me my debut. He had a lot of faith in me. And I was looking forward to an exciting Liverpool future and career. And then as it happened, I think Gerard respected me as a player. But there was some sort of relationship breakdown with, you know, I mean, I was very immature. He misunderstood me. He misinterpreted me at times. Um, so I, I think we just got off on the wrong foot. I, I, I know I was good enough to stay at Liverpool. And, you know, when I look back, sometimes I regret this decision to leave. But mm. it was for the it was for the good of my career that I did decide to leave. But I was heartbroken when I did have, when I did decide to leave. I just knew that I was good enough to go and prove myself somewhere, and I think that's what I was doing. Unfortunately, by the time I got, uh, you know, I got to the level that was probably required, um, I was struck down with a bad knee injury. Mm. Yeah, such a shame. I mean, looking back at your Liverpool career, who would you say uh, the best player? You mentioned some names already, but the best player you played with, and, and the best players you played against of that era. Look, do, do you know? I, I mean, I, I, Stevie is a highlight. He's an extraordinary, mm. extraordinary player. But you know. Each to their own. All the players that I played with had special talents. I mean, yeah. I look at Michael Owen, unbelievably quick, unbelievable balance. I mean, he could get where water couldn't, Michael, and his finishing was extraordinary. But Robbie Fowler was on a different level when it came to finishing. Cara was, you know, he was the most adaptable player you'll ever see. <clears throat> Very underrated. He was a top-draw uh, footballer. You know, Dominic Matteo had an incredible engine. Mm. Then then we... Who else? Steve McManaman, what a player he was. Yeah. You know, he was extraordinary. You give him the ball, he he would he would change the, the dynamic from defence to attack in the space of what, three or four seconds with his pace. And he could keep the ball, he never gave it away. He was an extraordinary player. I always thought he was under so, over, uh, underrated, Steve McManaman. Mac- he was never underrated by anyone who ever played with him because yeah. he just knew how good he was. But when I look back now and I think the only thing that let Steve McManaman down was his, probably his goal-scoring record, mm. which was still very good. But the amount of chances that he actually got, he was a bit of a lazy finisher. But he was an incredible player and, and, and one that I loved playing with. That was in terms of local talent. But in terms of you know players that were at Liverpool, the likes, the players we had, some extraordinary players there. And John Barnes stands out. Of course. What yeah. a guy. What a guy. What a footballer. Jan Molby. You know... These, they they gave me the keys to go and build a career. These guys just with some of the advice that they give you, and they didn't even know they were giving you advice. They were just it was just came second nature to them to be that helpful. Mm. You moved on from Liverpool. That was well, it was just beginning of the noughties when you went to Coventry. How different was it as a club at Coventry and and the players there? I mean, did you find it as a step down, or did you see it as something that would further your career at the time? It obviously was a step down. Um, but in terms of my career, it was a step, a step sideways mm. and uh, to, to go up, to progress. You know, it taught me a hell of a lot. You know, when I got to Coventry, obviously, I'd gone from a club that was used to dominating possession, probably, you know, 60 to 70% possession and, and, and your contact time on the ball was very high. You go to Coventry and it's reversed. You know, you've got the ball for 30% of the time and your contract, contact time with the ball is reduced. But when I did get the ball, I was expected to produce, you know, moments of magic. And, and uh, I enjoyed that pressure, but it wasn't my game. My, my game was, was, you know, to create opportunities for people and, and would spot a pass and have shots at goal. And, you know, I wasn't this individual match winner. I never was. You know, I never was when in any of the teams that I played. I was always, you know, a creator yeah. and uh, someone who could score a goal. But I relied on teams around me. Um, and it sort of changed a little bit. And I, took, I put too much pressure on myself because I had come from a big club. I put a lot of pressure on myself because things weren't going right. And I was playing in games when, it, you know, when I was injured and I shouldn't have played. And I felt, felt responsible uh, when we did actually get relegated. But I stayed for another season and, and produced my best football the, the season after. Scored 13, 14 goals. I think I had about uh, 15 assists. And I managed to secure a move back to the Premier League. Mm. I know you, had, you did well at Blackburn before the injury, didn't you? I loved it at Blackburn. I mean, Graeme Souness was um, was a great manager to play for. Um, I know his time at Liverpool, it never worked out. But at Blackburn, he was fantastic for me. He gave me the confidence to go and play how I wanted to play. And he knew that I had understood my game and I knew my strengths and weaknesses at that time. And I developed as a player, I developed as an athlete. And uh, 
you know, I was getting my rewards. I'd scored seven goals by January. I had about uh, 12, 13 assists. So I was doing my job. And uh, then all of a sudden in February, I goes in for a routine operation and finds out that I'm going to be out for nine to 10 months, mm. which I was devastated. You know, by the time I'd, 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 I'd got over that, I tried to come back. The operation wasn't right. I'd played 10 games and broke down again and was out again for another uh, 10, 11 months. On my first game back after that, I broke my ankle. I was out for three months, so I'd had two years out of the game. Yeah. Where I'd lost a yard of pace and the game had moved on. I was I was really devastated. Mm. Well, I think you'll, you'll be highly remembered uh, at Liverpool as well because you were always someone that gave it 100%. What are you up to now, David? Um, I, I've got a couple of things. I've got an online clothing business. Um, so, so, you know, that uh, takes up a little bit of me time. Um, but I'm... Um, I'm a property consultant and mm. I try to broker um, some quite major deals in city centres for student accommodation. Oh, okay. uh, I've been doing that for the last uh, 12 months. Seems to be going fantastic, so I've got no regrets there. But in terms of uh, my coaching, um, I've got my A and my B licence and I'm looking for an opportunity to get back in when it suits. But at the minute, it's not suitable for me. But over the next six to ten months, I'll be looking for an opportunity to get back in. Brilliant. Well, be good because it's something it's something I uh, I love to do and something I enjoy doing. Mm. Well, it'd be good to see you back in football for sure, David. So uh, thank you, thank you for talking to us. No problem. Appreciate yeah. it. Nice Thanks to speak to you. Bye bye. This podcast is a West Twelve Media and Burble Media production.